we're starting a new series uh, this morning in the month of November called Family Matters. Ta-da! We re- I need a little bit more excitement from the room. I know, <laughs> like we spent some money on these graphics, so I want to appreciate it. Um, <laughs> no, but I was thinking about what to call our family series because the Lord put on my heart in the beginning of our church plan to really focus on the presence of God and getting people to steward the presence of God in their own life, coming out of works and allowing the Holy Spirit to do the work for us. Um, and now in this next season, I just felt like, especially after that tough word I preached last week, it was like, I felt like we need to dive into community. Here's the strange thing about that in the season that we're in. COVID makes it hard to physically be together. And so I think this is the best time to work on our ourselves so that when we're together again and we're able to commune together like normal, that we actually do it in a way that, God's, that God is pleased with and that's healthy. So, but in deciding the name of the series, I thought about Steve Urkel because I've always felt like Urkel. Now, for those of you who are Gen Zers, you have no idea what I'm talking about, um, just take a chill pill. Uh, on Friday nights, we used to love sitting in front of the TV on ABC and watching Urkel. Now, looking back on it, because they started putting like Family Matters and Fresh Prince and different stuff back up, uh, I, I was looking at it, you know, the show wasn't that great. I'm not gonna lie, the writing was, it was the same every week. But for some reason, we loved this stinking show growing up. I personally loved it because I really felt, like, felt an affinity to Urkel because Urkel kind of went through life with like not meaning to mess stuff up and make mistakes, but it was just happening all over the place. And when you look at um, Family Matters and that whole series and even Urkel's presence in there, uh, for those of you who remember the show, um, it was really down to a lack of self-awareness that Urkel, not to get too deep by, about a shallow show, um, Urkel just wasn't aware of who he was um, and he wasn't aware of how he came off. Here's what I found out, that most of the dilemma in our relationships, most of the problems and in, in the dysfunction of our communing together really is never about the problem. It's actually a heart thing that God wants to adjust in us. Last week we talked about this and just to kind of breeze over it real quick, I would encourage you, please, please go back and watch that message. Um, But last week we talked about uh, walking in grace and forgiveness and how we go about doing that. And I think part of that is we cannot walk in grace until we have a right picture of who we are in the presence of the Lord. Now with that comes the good, the bad, and the ugly. We have to, I told you last week, somebody came up to me and said, Pastor Dell, why does bad things, why do bad things happen to good people? And my response was, you show me a good person and I'll, I'll answer that question for you. But I think we have this reasoning because we have a wrong picture of who we are. Now understand there's a healthy balance because you have some in the camp who just say, we're just amazing and there's nothing wrong with us and we're Christians. And it's like anybody who's been Christian more than two hours knows that your Christianity is filled with imperfection. And we have to be honest about that. So yeah, we have to say, we've got some issues. We got some stuff that we're working on, some pride stuff, some uh, defensive stuff, like all, I'm naming all of my sins that I struggle with right now. It's like all of that stuff. (laughs) I see people in the audience like, right. Thank you so much for the support. Um, But but when we begin to see who we are rightly, both the good uh, and, and the bad, that we start seeing that, man, we are a sinner We are um, enemies of the Lord, but by his grace, but by his mercy, that we have been redeemed. Uh, I I think one verse says it was because of his mercies that we were not consumed. And coming back to the cross, just like we talked about last week, is a reminder, not only that he has made me a child of God, that I've been adopted according to Romans, but I've gotta remember that I still got some stuff I've gotta work on. And so daily coming back to the cross to be reminded, I've got some stuff that I need God to make me aware of so that I can have healthier relationships. But on top of that, I've got to make sure I end on not just beating myself up and talking about how much I suck and how much work, because listen, till the day you die, boo-boo, you have work to do. The truth of it is though, that in spite of the work that you have to do, that you're still a child of God. You're still a son and a daughter. That your issues, your stuff that you're working through does not take away from your identity. And we're gonna go through that this morning. So I just want to give you some reasoning behind the idea of Family Matters. This morning is the first message in this series titled, and you can put up that slide for me, Zach. It's titled, Broken Soul, Broken Relationships. Turn with me to Genesis chapter three. Are y'all still awake with me? Okay, awesome. I know we're kind of chill. Turn with me, we're gonna read probably about seven or eight verses. Genesis chapter three. If you don't have your Bible, just borrow one from a believer. 
It was a joke, breathe, calm down. It'll come up on your screen if you don't have it. Uh, I'm reading from the New King James Version. Here's what it says. Super familiar portion of scripture. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Watch what the, what the conversation goes, verse two. And the woman said to the serpent, which by the way, if a serpent ever talks to you, just don't respond. That's just good spiritual warfare teaching for you right there. Um, and the woman said to the serpent, uh, we may eat uh, the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Verse four, then the serpent said to the woman, will you not surely die? Uh, For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So here's what the enemy's saying. You're missing out on something. God is holding back on you. And look in, in, in verse six, I think it is. Yeah, verse six, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave it to her husband, uh, she also gave to her husband with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were open and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig fig leaves together and made themselves covering. Hey, huge thank you to those who've been praying for me. I shared with you guys my eye condition and how it's been tough to see and all that kind of stuff, so I really appreciate you guys praying. Uh, this, this morning, I want to preach, teach from the subject broken soul, broken relationships. The root of many of the dysfunctions in our relationship, like I said last week, really doesn't have to do with the problem. It's how we view the problem, how we respond to the problem, because in reality, we cannot control what we are faced with. Life is going to happen. COVID is going to come. You're going to, you know, job losses are going to happen. Miscarriage, these tough things through life are going to happen, and the question becomes, how do we respond to those? Now, as Pentecostal believers, a lot of times we focus on two areas of our being. We focus on our flesh and we focus on the spirit. Tame the flesh, connect the spirit with the Lord. The problem is we're made up of three parts. There's a whole area that we're missing of emotions and brokenness and all these different things. And, and he, let me just, because in case you were like me, we were raised old school and therapists and psychiatrists were from the devil and all you needed was prayer because Jesus is the answer. But we're not talking about the answer. What we're talking about is the equation to getting to the answer. What do I mean by that? God, somebody gets cancer, they come to an altar, we lay hands on them, God heals them instantly. God gets the glory because he did it. That same person goes to an oncologist, is that what it's called? Yeah, an oncologist, goes to an oncologist, uh, goes through treatment, chemo, all those different things, and through that process, they end up healed on the other side. Now, is Jesus any less glorified at the altar than he is in the doctor's office? It's the same Jesus, he just shows up in different ways. So when we say that Jesus is the answer, we're all on the same page with that. The question becomes, how is he gonna become the answer in our situations, right? And that's what we wanna deal with uh, this morning. I wanna use kind of a fancy term that I was taught not so long ago (laughs) called ontology. Did I get that right? All my theologians, all right, ontology, which is really the study or the nature of humanity. I wanna give you some theology around this. I believe we're made up of three persons. If you're taking notes, you can start right now. Uh, But I believe that we're made up of three, there's three parts that make us up. Number one, the first part that we see is the, the flesh. Now, I don't really need to dive into that, go into that. We kind of understand that, that we're living in this physical earth suit, that we're in the flesh, and so we feel things. Sometimes, um, and this is kind of how you'll see it relate, um, and, and these parts of us, our soul, our spirit, and our body are not separate. They work with each other, um, and you're gonna see the interlocking of it. Um, but a lot of times when it comes to the flesh, uh, we uh, don't see the working between the spirit, soul, and the flesh, but here's how you gotta understand things. Your flesh has been given to you to glorify God. Uh, we see this all throughout scripture. He, he says your, your, bi- your body is a temple to the Lord. Present it. Like you, with your body, with your physical body, you're able to display your worship. You're able to lift your hands. You're able to sing. All of this is coming from your physical. But that's 
in, in collaboration with what's happening in your spirit. Your flesh is responding to what you're sensing, what you're feeling, what you're experiencing in the spirit, right? Here's the deal, how does your soul work into there? If your soul is broken, your seat of emotions, the, the place where you relate to people, your preferences, what happens is you become so discouraged that you don't even tap into the spirit, not allowing yourself to just lift your hands in the physical and begin to worship. You see how they're all tied in? And so I say this because we have to understand this uh, and, and, and their workings together or else we'll put this heavy mandate on praying and fasting when in reality, we need grace in our soul. You actually don't need consecration. You need to reconcile with that person who's, who, who you got a soul tie with. You got to break that thing. You, you see what I'm saying? Like we've got to figure out how to heal and, and allow God to reshape the soul. So that's where we're going. The first one is the flesh. I don't need to go deep into that. The second one is the spirit. The spirit is where we fellowship with God. It's the place uh, where we have consciousness of the Lord. The world would call it intuition. In the church and in the world, we call it discernment. My spirit connects to the Lord when I'm hearing prophetic words. Now. I don't wanna to go too heavy in this because this is a whole separate teaching, but even when it comes to the prophetic, we have to have our souls healed so that we can rightly hear God in the spirit. What do I mean by that? We have too many soulish prophets in the earth today. What do I mean? That, that soulish prophets or, or prophetic people who are just in the soul realm, they're sensing things by way of their emotions they're able to pick up on stuff from you by way of your emotions. And so you'll hear stuff like, man, the Lord's telling me that you're gonna have a house and that he's about to give you a car because what we're reading into is what you're feeling, what you're desiring. That might not be what God wants to say. But if your soul is not cleaned up, if it's not cleared up, if there's junk there, your ability to hear from God becomes clouded. Because is this me or is this my brokenness talking? Amen, amen, amen. Not only are we flesh and spirit where we fellowship with God, we have discernment in the Lord. Well, let me dive into a couple of these scriptures and more of them are gonna be on, on the notes that you can text, I think it's 94,000. It should be coming up on the screen right now. You text collide notes to 94,000. So I said the, the spirit is where we fellowship with the Lord, where we have that consciousness, we have that intuition or discernment. Verse, uh, John chapter four, verse 24, Romans chapter one, verse nine, these are references for when we talk about fellowshipping with the Lord. This is where we can connect and commune with him through our spirit. And uh, when we talk about uh, discernment and discerning the Lord, uh, you see this riddled through the scriptures, but it's all in reference to our spirit hearing from the Lord. And then we have this third part that you don't hear too much teaching about in the church, yet David displays this through all of the Psalms, and it's the area of the soul. What's the area of the soul? This is the place of your mind, your will, your emotions, a lot of your personality, and even preferences. Well, you say, how are my preferences in my soul? That's just how I am. I just like American food. Yeah, because America shaped your soul and your preferences in that area. I'm going to dive into that in a little bit. Um, but, but when, we, when we talk about the soul, we're talking about the mind, we're talking about the will, we're talking about the place where you prefer and you make decisions. This is why you, you, you gotta be discerning in this hour. Because I've prayed for people uh, who have addictions and as I'm praying, it, it, that thing doesn't loose off of them. And I'm going, Lord, what's happening? Because that issue is not a spiritual issue. Sometimes uh, there, there are curses that we've gotta break and so I'm not denouncing that. I'm saying there's stuff that we gotta break, generational curses, there's, um, so there's all these different things in the spirit that we gotta break, but what I started realizing is that a lot of the addictions that I was counseling uh, people through and praying them through wasn't an issue of their spirit, it was actually an issue of a broken soul. That they could not make better and different choices because their soul was bound. And the more they became healed, the more uh, their decisions began to improve. This is why you date at the level of your brokenness. That one didn't go over very well. Let me try this side. Um, this is why typically, and I see this all the time as a pastor, and I know I just kind of slung that out of nowhere. You're like, that was so uncalled for, I got you. Uh, but I see this all the time as a pastor. You, you'll start seeing, you look at even your dating life. Um, if you're broken right now, don't look at your dating life right now. Like, 
This will be a testimony later. Um, uh, uh, but if you even look at your dating life and your dating history, look at the people you used to date and look at the stage that you were in in that season. And you'll start seeing that the more healed and the more whole you became, you started picking better dates. Why? Because your ability to decide, your preferences, what you desired. There were things that you desired when you were in the world that you no longer desire. Why? Because God has began to even reshape the things that you desire. Let me just make it simple like this because this is just the foundation for what I want to set on this morning. Write this down if you're taking notes. We live for the Lord through our flesh. We worship and connect with the Lord through our spirit, but we love the Lord through our soul. Here's what I mean by that. It is our spirit and constant communication and communion and connection with the Lord that allows us to display our worship in our flesh but we're allowed to feel and to emote and to love from the place of our soul. And be careful to find a faith, a Christianity that is void of emotions. I know that's a popular teaching. You don't want to be emotional in your relationship with God. You don't, but that's not what he said. Actually, in Revelation chapter 2, he tells an entire church, just like the church that was uh, putting up with Jezebel, like I took, I'm about to take their lampstand out. Ephesus, I'm going to take yours out, even though you don't live in sin. Your theology is per like great. You're doing everything right. What does he tell them? Jesus tells the church of Ephesus, the only problem is you're doing it void of your first love. And that was a strong enough rebuke that God was willing to take away their lampstand because they were doing everything right without the passions that were supposed to be associated with it. I do not believe that the Lord wants our walk with him to be void of emotions. I just believe he doesn't want them to be led by emotions because your emotions are haywire. But you tell me another relationship that you have in your life that is void of emotion. And if we're gonna say that we're in relationship with God, we've got to realize that we are gonna have these emotions. And if that's the case, we have to make that sure that the place where our emotions are housed are a safe space, all right? So I'm gonna say this one more time. We live for the Lord through our flesh. We worship and connect with the Lord through our spirit, but we love the Lord through our soul. Let me dive into that text we read earlier in Genesis chapter three. It's a very familiar story and you know it. God has just created the world. He's made man. They're walking in the cool of the day with the Lord. And I don't know what that's like. I, you know, we walk with the Lord by faith, but they were literally with the tangible presence of God every day in the cool of the day. It wasn't like this weird, you know, global warming weather we've been having all of a sudden in the Bay Area. But every day in the cool of the day, they were walking with the Lord. And here's why I put such an emphasis on that. Because even in walking with the Lord, they still sin. They walked with the tangible, close, the manifest presence of God, and they still messed up. And it wasn't because they were not in right communion with the Lord. We're gonna see in a moment that there is a void, a brokenness in their soul. Where do I get that from? Adam and Eve, they're in the garden and they've been given one rule. Not to go too heavy into this theology because this is a whole apologetic thing, uh, but the reason the tree even had to be in the garden is because God needed to give you options in order for you to be able to love. Without options and without the ability to choose, you don't have the ability to love the way God's created us to love. What do I mean? If God puts you in a room and says, um, you know, you, you have no rules, if he had just created the garden and there was no tree or anything like that, uh, the Adam and Eve would not be able to choose God. They would have no options. It would only be God. And here's what God says. I don't want robots and people who are mandated in slavery to love me. And so I've got to give you an option to not choose me so that you can have an option to choose me. Here's the deal. Adam and Eve are in the cool of the garden. They're walking with the Lord. And one day a snake comes up and starts talking. Now I was debating on what to call the sermon. I was originally going to call it snakes in the garden because I find that it's the snakes in the gardens of our lives that really start speaking into us and causes us to make bad decisions based on broken soul areas. Where do I get that from? Adam and Eve are walking. The snake comes and where does he challenge him? He says to Adam and Eve, you're missing something. Here's the deal, they were missing nothing that they were supposed to have. But the enemy will constantly fight you to try to make you believe, and this is the, the, the message of the hour that we live in. The world constantly wants to tell you that you're not enough. 
That's the message. The message you're getting is that you're not enough. And what happens in our uh, feelings of not being enough? We are led to cover ourselves up with fig trees. Uh, Okay, you don't understand that. We are led to cover ourselves up with how many followers we have on social media. All right, let me try this one. We're led to cover ourselves up with our dating career and, and, and making sure that we're never seeing. That we, we have all these fig leaves that are a result of the enemy speaking lies to us that God has not given us enough and that he's not made us enough. And I wanna tell you, for those of you who are struggling with your identity, I don't care how you feel, I know what the truth is. You may not feel loved, you may not feel like a child of God, but if you've given your heart over to the Lord, it doesn't matter how you feel, you have everything that you need for life and godliness in Christ, but the enemy's gonna come and tell you you're not enough. You're single, you're not enough. You're divorced, you're not enough. You're not in full-time ministry, you're not enough. You're not on the worship team. You're not on the platform preaching. You're not enough. And there are all these snakes in the gardens of our mind constantly telling you that you're missing out on something. This is why we struggle to be present. We can never enjoy what God has in front of us because we always desire something that we haven't gotten yet. What area in your life has the enemy been whispering that you're not enough? What's that area that he continues to tap on in your soul to say this is the reason you're not enough? Your family, your testimony, your history, that the conversation between Adam and Eve and Satan in the garden by way of the snake was a conversation to say, Adam and Eve, God has not made you enough, you're missing out on something, so go get what God gave you, what God is holding out on you. And so they go eat of the tree and the first thing they do, is Reggie, they put on fig leaves. Now here's what we preachers do. We talk about the fig leaves in response to the Lord. There's truth to that. In, in putting on fig leaves, they realize that they were naked. Now, nothing's changed except for their mindset. They were always naked. It wasn't like they ate an apple or whatever the, the fruit was. It's probably watermelon, because I like watermelon. Um, but, but, but they eat this fruit and, and instantly they put on fig leaves and, and, and we focus on how they're covering up with the Lord. And I wanna focus on that, but not only do they focus, should we focus on the figs covering themselves from the Lord, they now, for the first time ever, are hiding from each other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's why you withdraw. That's why you internalize. Because the enemy will make you feel like you, come on, I know I'm not the only one. You go through something that you know for sure other people have gone through. But the enemy will have you sitting right there in your, your, your room, just like, nobody's ever gone through, I can't ever share this with anybody. And what does the enemy do? He fights vulnerability in your heart and in your life, and you put on fig trees, and understand, fig trees aren't always sin. Are you hearing me this morning? Fig trees aren't always sin. I, don't, I want you to get that out of your mind because I know what you're thinking. You're thinking pornography. <laughs> www.shouldn'tbehere.com. <laughs> and it's like, no, no, no. Sometimes fig leaves are our inability to emote. Sometimes fig leaves are, are, we hide behind being an introvert when in reality, though we might be an introvert, we're not as introvert as we think. We just got fig leaves on. I'll find an amen in here somewhere. It's tough. Is this making sense? Are you getting what I'm saying this morning? It's like we have to watch, even in our own lives, even for the mature believer, we constantly have to check our outfits. I'm not talking about what you're wearing right now. I'm talking about what you're wearing in your soul. You constantly have to check. Am I being guarded? Is there an area in my life? I know even for me, one of the areas I can testify is that early on in my ministry, that ministry became my fig leaf. And so let me just be a good minister, hide behind ministry, become successful behind the pulpit, and I'll be really good. And here's the thing I had to realize, that God sees me behind the fig trees. He sees me behind the things that I use to try to disguise and, 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 and hide the feeling of not being enough. So again, I ask you, what area in your life has the enemy told you that you are not enough in your soul? Now, how do I get to this place of talking about vulnerability, talking about a broken soul in this context? I, what we lost in the garden in Genesis chapter three was deep, sincere connection with the Lord. This is why the second Adam, who is Jesus, had to come to restore what was lost in the garden. So hear me out, the garden of Gethsemane is only a reshoot of what was supposed to be the garden of Eden. 
This is good teaching whether you know it or not. That, that in, the Garden of, in the Garden of Eden, we lost communion with the Lord. We, there was a disconnect that happened. There was a connection. Now God comes in and he restores and because without the shedding of blood, there, there is no remission of sin. So, so God comes and restores until Jesus comes. So you're killing animals, you're shedding blood to try to keep that communion in response. And then Jesus comes and he sheds blood. And I don't have time to preach this because I'll get real, real preachy if I do. Uh, but one of the stupidest mistakes the enemy ever did was to kill Jesus the way that he killed Jesus. Now, if I was the devil, I would have read scripture and I would have smothered Jesus. <laughs> uh, be, because without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. So as soon as the nails go through his hands and the blood starts coming down, all of a sudden our sins have, uh, have been forgiven and we've been restored with Christ and that which was lost in the garden has been redeemed now in the garden of, of, of Gethsemane and we've been made renewed but we still got to deal with the fig leaves. We still have to deal with the things that we hide behind. Now, now I believe what we lost in the garden was connection, and what God wants to store, restore is deep connections, and I got 20 minutes to kind of break this down for you. The way that I define connection, if you're taking notes, is I define it as being seen, being understood, and being known. Now this is our ultimate desire in humanity. I believe we want to be connected. I believe there's two areas of connection that we desire. We desire connection with humanity. There's deep longing for connection with humanity. And, and hear me when I say this, I'll be preaching this when I talk about our sermon on, on singleness. Um, when, when God says it is not good for men to be, man to be alone, that's not a marriage verse. Come here, single people. I know that's a marriage conference verse, but that's not, that's not a marriage verse. He, he's saying that it's not good for you to be isolated. I, I know that that's what he's saying because the founder of our faith was single. He was quote unquote alone. One of the main founders of the, the New Testament church, Paul the Apostle, was single and actually said, I wish that you would be single so that you could do more ministry. So that's not a marriage verse to say, like, that's a, because I, I have people who tell me that because they want me to get married. It's like, brother, it's not good for man to be alone. This is why I have friends. <laughs> this is why I have relationships, right? But I say that because we were actually created. I know you don't think you need anybody and you're all bad all by yourself, girlfriend, but, but just for a second, take off the, the strong suit for a moment. We were all built to need people. Now, some of us have different bandwidths for our need for people, and our bandwidth for needing people begins to change as we become healed and become whole, right? Um, but I believe that we were designed to actually need to be connected, to be seen, to be known, to be understood by people, but not only to humanity, watch this, we were actually meant for connection to the divine. So I know we hear that in the context of our faith, that we're to be connected with the Lord, but even in the world, that's why there's this huge desire um, to, to know something greater than ourselves. I wanna be connected to something bigger. This is why social media is so huge. It's this desire to be connected to the divine. I wanna be connected to something that's bigger than me. Here's the deal, and this is where I try to pretend like I went to Bible college and teach you something. Y'all, can y'all pretend like I'm a teacher and just make me feel good for a minute? Um, somebody, Sarah said, yeah, can I, is there a pen? Did I not prepare? Is this a pen too? Oh, Jesus, Lord have mercy. Oh, man, 2020, my year. So, so here's what I want to show you. And are we all right on the video? Y'all gonna have to see my backside here and there, but I'm, I'm sorry about that. Um, but I want to show you this visually. That's just how my mind works. So here, um, I'm an amazing artist. This is you. <laughs> this is me, a couple pounds lighter, but this is me. Now, here's, here's what I believe. I believe what we lost in the garden was this thing called connection. And I think this is what we're trying to get back to. This is what Jesus is trying to restore on the cross, connection. Now this is, seems like a shallow word in our English language, but I want you to think about it in a deeper way. I'm not talking about just connecting on a light level, but I mean deeply connected. God wants us to be known. He wants us to be seen by him. He wants us to be connected. How do we get connection? Now, now going back to what I said so I can add this visual, this is both to the divine, but also to humanity. And so for all the people who say that, you know, I don't need anybody but Jesus, it's just not true. Uh, we were designed to actually need community, 
right? Um, so we have this deep desire, this need to head towards connection. The problem is there is only one way to get to feeling or being deeply connected, but it's the very thing that we all fight against. I fight against it, you fight against it, we all fight against it. It's a bridge, because there's a bridge that takes us from where we are to where God wants us to be, and let me tell you what this bridge is called. Y'all not gonna like this word, because I don't like it. This bridge is called vulnerability. And, and let me help you just so that we can wrap theology because I know some of us need like Christian language around it, but you don't have any deep connection with the Lord without vulnerability. You've never had an, an, a powerful encounter without being laid bare before the Lord. Every encounter that you've had, every, um, even in your salvation, there's a vulnerability that has to be displayed. Now my question comes, how do we define vulnerability? And different people have different definitions and mine is constantly evolving because we're discovering what this vulnerability piece is. But just for the sake of today's message, and I'm gonna make it all make sense and everything with scriptures, I, I believe that vulnerability requires two things. I believe vulnerability requires disclosure and exclosure. What do I mean by that? I, for years, I thought that vulnerability required words. Now, I'll add into this evolving definition that that disclosure and exposure must express need. You've gotta put yourself in a place of weakness and in a place of need, and that is where vulnerability is. The, the problem is, is that I struggled for years thinking that I was vulnerable because I'm naturally transparent. You ask me a question, I can't help it. I'm gonna just be honest with you. And so I confuse transparency and vulnerability for the same thing, but hear me out. They are roommates, but they are not the same thing. They, a lot of times, will work hand in hand, and a lot of times you'll have to be verbally transparent to be vulnerable, but sometimes vulnerability is, I, not to get too weird or gross, I, I'm a senior pastor now, so I'm starting to talk to married couples more often. And here's where I'm finding an era of vulnerability for married couples, being able to express sexuality, being able to dress up and be sexy for your spouse. It's like, am I gonna be rejected? And when you put yourself in that position to say, I can't control how they're gonna respond, and I'm gonna put myself in a place where I can get hurt, actually the word vulnerability in our language comes from a Latin word, which means to put yourself in a position to be hurt. This is why the word vulnerable in the American language started really coming about when it came to war, that they would start describing that we were in a vulner vulnerable war position where we can get hurt. And if you're in a position of power where you cannot be hurt, you cannot be wounded, you're not practicing vulnerability. And, and I say this because there are times, my testimony, for example, I share my testimony all the time. I've been sharing it for like over 10 years. It's no longer vulnerable for me to share it. I mean, my business is out there. It doesn't really cost me anything. I've, the worst of it has already gone. Now, when I first started sharing my testimony, it was very vulnerable because I lost a lot in sharing my testimony. But at this stage, I can share so many secrets of my life, quote unquote, and still not feel any kind of uh, pain by what you think. And so I have to clarify that the distinction between transparency and vulnerability, because a lot of times God is asking us to practice the kind of vulnerability that doesn't require words. I, I find so often that the lack of vulnerability actually causes us not to show up. Not, not just physically, but I mean emotionally, where we're physically present somewhere, but we're not fully showing up. We're not being ourselves. We don't feel comfortable. And understanding, hear me out, because I know there's wisdom in this, it's not always safe to be completely vulnerable. We live in a broken world, and that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying the goal is that we start heading to a direction of healing that crosses over this bridge of vulnerability. Is this making sense for you this morning? All right, so let me finish this up. So, so you have your sexy self right here, and your desire to be connected both with the Lord and with the divine, in order to get there, you've got to practice vulnerability, you've got to express disclosure and exposure, so Adam and Eve, in order to reconnect with God, they've gotta come back and say, we messed up. And can I get a close up really quick? I, I don't know who needs to hear this. This is a word for somebody, who am I looking at, Levente? All right, look at me, Justin, look, watch this. Have the courage to be wrong. I don't know about you, maybe this is just my personal struggle. I hate being wrong. I hate admitting when I'm wrong. But I'm learning that I cannot be successful. I cannot go where God wants me to go if I don't have the courage to be like, oh dang, I messed that one up. 
And some of you don't realize that your pride, your ego, your desire to be seen a certain way is actually keeping you from the humility that's required for the connection that you desire. Whew, this is heavy. This is gonna be one of those ones you gotta, gotta rewatch to get it all in, all right? I got 10 more minutes. So in order to get to the connection that we desire, Adam and Eve have to represent themselves to the Lord, have this conversation of vulnerability, and say, man, we messed up. We, we gotta put ourselves out there again. Because remember, they were naked before they sinned. Nothing changed. They ate the fruit. The only thing that changed was their mindset on how they saw themselves. Remember what I said last week. It's less about what and more about the how. It's about how you see yourself. And, and here's the deal. Here, here's what I came to grips with. I, I posted something on Facebook, I think it was the other day, and I, and I said something like, um, I am nice, I am mean, I am gentle, I am hostile, I am, like all of these contradicting things, trying to exclaim that I know myself, I'm honest about who I am, and that doesn't change who God says I am. That's what Adam and Eve missed out on, that they saw themselves differently than how God saw them. That's what sin did in their life. That God had set it up in the way where they were naked and they were unashamed. Now because of sin, because of being accused of not being enough, they run into this fear of hiding. Because what if the enemy's right? What if, I, what if I'm not enough? Here's what the believer needs to start believing. You gotta start prophesying to yourself. David got ready to get discouraged and he couldn't find a priest. He said, I don't need one. He said, I'll encourage myself in the Lord. He started putting on his priestly robes and started inquiring of the Lord in 1 Samuel and said, shall I pursue? And God said, yes. Let me tell you, the thing that combats the voices of the snakes in your garden is the word of the Lord. The reason I don't have to succumb to the fear of what if I'm vulnerable and then they hurt me or if they wound me or anything like that is because I know I'm the head and not the tail. I know I'm above and not beneath. I know that I may not be enough for you, but I'm still enough. Oh, I, I feel like setting myself free for just a minute because the truth is I'm not enough for you. I'll agree, I am not enough, baby, but I didn't call me, he called me. I, 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 didn't, you know, I didn't ask for the, the Lord, and I need you to apply this for your life because there are areas where the enemy is whispering that you're not enough, and you gotta tell him that's the truth, but the good news is that Jesus makes up the difference. Whew, that felt good. I was trying to stay teachy today, but I had to get a little preaching for a second. All right, I got eight minutes. My question becomes, why take the risk to be vulnerable? And for those of you who are saying, man, I'm not vulnerable because what if I get hurt? Let me change that for you. When you get hurt. <laughs> Practicing vulnerability, it's not an if, it's guaranteed that you will be hurt. It's my identity and security and value in the Lord that helps me to center myself back when I'm wounded by the projections and the pains of others. Does that make sense? All right, so but my question becomes, why do we need to get to this place? Why, why, why are we trying to get there? How do I wanna put this? Paul says, um, we don't have enough time to go there, but Paul says this thing in Philippians. He says, forgetting those things which are behind me I look, are pressed toward the mark of the high calling, reaching for what's ahead of me. Here's what I wanna stop. Paul, you just said you forget all of the things behind you. Here's the problem I have with that, Lisa. If I forget everything I have or I've been through, how do I have a testimony? Because in another verse, God tells me, Demetri, he says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. How do I say so if I don't remember my past? It wasn't until I did a study of the word forget that the word doesn't mean the same like we think it means lack of memory. What it actually means is to reshape how you see your past. That word forget, when you break it down, it means to no longer nurture your past. See, the reason you haven't overcome is because you still look at your past as a victim. You haven't seen God conquer in your story yet. One of the things that I do in counseling sessions is that we revisit memories and, and broken places and things that God, or, or that we've gone through and, and, and we'll stop towards the end of the session and I'll say, can you see Jesus in it? And we will not move on until we bring Jesus into the situation. What am I saying? It's, it's not about what you went through. It's about how you see what you went through. What's the difference between a victim and a victor? It's all about perspective. 
I can look at my story. I, I was molested for two years of my life. I was abused most of my childhood. I had a horrible early ministry training experience, just abrasive and abusive, all these different things. And I can look back on everything I went through and I can just feel sorry for myself. And this is what we do. So woe is me. And we're always a constant victim, except the Lord comes in and he changed my perspective. And the, the facts of the situation doesn't change. My perspective on it is what changes. And so now I look at my testimony and I'm not just a victim of molestation, I'm an overcomer of rape. Y'all not hearing me this morning. I'm not, I'm not just a person who was uh, abused growing up, I'm a person who was able to forgive and still have a relationship with my abuse. You see how there's a difference? And, and it's a matter of being healed, that this healing that takes place in our soul causes us to see what we've gone through in a different light. So when Paul says, forget those things which are behind, he's not saying no longer remember, he's saying reshape how you see what you've been through. If you're still seeing, look at me, if you're still seeing yourself as a victim in your story, you're not seeing yourself the way God sees you. You have got to see your story the way God sees you. The question now becomes how do we reshape, and I've got five minutes to do this, how do we reshape that memory. I think the scriptures give us a key when Paul tells us to no longer nurture. He's, he's telling us that we can interact with our memories, we can interact with our past, and we can, the more we become healed, the more that we are able to see things appropriately. Here's where I've discovered. I went through, and I'll just be a little vulnerable. I can't share everything because it's not just my story, it's theirs too. Uh, but what led me on the season of real breakthrough and healing in this area, because I was good spiritually. Like I could prophesy, call your address out, all these different things. Uh, at the time, physically, I was good. Now I need to like do a little work, go back to veganism. Y'all pray my strength in the Lord. Um, but I was so not self-aware. Um, people would tell me things and I just didn't get it. Like, well, that's not me. How do you see? I didn't have a right perspective. As I started, because um, I asked my buddy, I said, how, do we get, how did I get to a place personally? Because I was so prideful, I was very stubborn. You can never tell me anything. Um, I was very defensive all the time. Um, and I asked my friend, I said, how did you, because he'd been walking with me for a long time. I said, how did you see my transition happening? I had gone through this kind of situationship, <laughs> is what I'll call it, um, going in and out, up and down, breakups, all that kind of stuff. It was my first one, and it created a lot of pain in my heart. I had never experienced uh, dating before, and growing up in the church, I'm a man of God, live holy, ain't had sex in a long time, I don't look at pornography, all that kind of stuff. I'm the for real kind of holy, not that one we pretend to be online. Like, so I, I, I say that because I've really fought for purity, but because of that, my mind has never been towards dating or anything in that area. Well, you know, this woman came around and I was like, I like you. <laughs> Come here. <laughs> That's why I'm still single. All right. Um, <laughs> no, but in that dating process, there was just so much. Um, when it, looking back on it, there was a lot happening that I didn't see. There was my personal subconscious fight against vulnerability. Um, and so I'm an Enneagram 8. I only say that in context so that those of you who understand it, you'll, you'll kind of get what I mean when I say this. Um, I don't like to be touched. I don't naturally really like to do a lot of touching. I'm not naturally a sentimental person. And so even when we go out on dates, like now I'm more known to be more caring and gentle and empathetic. I've learned how to act. Um, but <laughs> like just to give you some, uh, an idea, I went on a, I took this, uh, a woman of God on a date, and we were kind of together by then, and we went to this beautiful rose garden. We're walking around, everything. Not once in the whole romantic date did I ever hold her hand, <laughs> did I ever try to say anything sensitive or sentimental when we're intentionally on a date. Now, what's playing through my head, Demetri, and on my next round, I'm gonna get you and Reggie's help on this. What's playing through my head is all of the high school youth group talks about what you don't do on dates. So it's like, don't touch, don't kiss, don't like do, and so that was me the whole time. I was just like, just respect her. Don't, don't touch her. Don't, in, in reality, there was a fight against vulnerability. Like I didn't want to touch because it was vulnerable. I didn't want to be expressive in my sentiment because it's like, oh, that feels weird. Even to this day, when I express sentiment, there's a twinge in my heart that happens, right? I it just naturally, because I was raised in a hostile environment, um, I, I just am more naturally uh, comfortable in hostile environments. Anyway, so in that dating thing, it didn't end well. Um, won't go into the whole story. Um, but in that, it led me to such a deep place of despair. Here's what I believe. And this is what happened in my conversation with my friend. And worship team, y'all can, can come and hop up. 
I realize that God will allow you to go through things when you're too stubborn to hear his voice, when you're too stubborn to heal, you're too stubborn to change. God will let you go through such dire things. He'll allow you to be in this place of despair where you only have two choices, heal or go further down. Now, a lot of people do go further down. They don't choose Jesus. They don't choose the, the place or process of healing. What they do is they, they choose drugs. They choose alcohol. They choose all of these different things. And here's what God says. I'm the only one who can heal you. Are you hearing what I'm saying this morning? That God's saying, I'm the only one who can heal you. The way that I heal you, though, and, and, and if you don't catch anything else from this sermon, this is the major point I want you to catch. Because I asked the question in my heart. I said, Lord, how do I get to the place where I'm comfortable practicing this vulnerability? Here's what the Lord showed me. This is horrible writing. But you can only be as vulnerable as you know your value. I have more permission to be vulnerable with people when I realize that you don't have the power to destroy me. And if you hurt me, the Lord is able to heal. Knowing who I am, my identity, who I am rightly before the Lord, helps me to endure the pain. It doesn't take away the pain. I still feel hurt. I still feel uh, uh, misunderstood at times and that creates pain. It doesn't take away the pain. All it does though is helps me rightly divide and, and to grow from the pain that vulnerability does. Here's what Paul says, if you're gonna heal, you've got to no longer see your past the same way, meaning you've got to reshape what you believe. Most of your bad behavior is because you believe a lie. The reason Adam and Eve ate from the tree was because they believed a lie. All of our fig leaves are a result of believing something that's just not true, that you're enough. I don't know about you, every week in COVID, something comes to remind you that you're not enough. Somebody in the family gets sick, you get a, a dock in your pay, somebody breaks relationships with you, hurts your heart. Every week something's happening and it's trying to tell you that you're not enough. It's only centering myself in the presence of God, coming back to him in a vulnerable state to say, Lord, I don't feel like enough and I feel like they're right, where the Lord can come and remind me, you're my kid. You're, you're the child of the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. That when I speak, mountains trembles, waves crash, cancer melts, demons tremble. You're my boy. You're my daughter. And that revelation brings us to a place of value where we understand I could face the world. Well, one of the reasons, I'm getting emotional all of a sudden, but one of the reasons that I'm, I'm so affirming now, it's very intentional, it's a rule that I started about two years ago in my life because I found myself being so negative because of what I preached about last week. But I also grew up in a negative household. And so we were never affirmed growing up. And so it wasn't until I was even an adult that I knew I could sing because my whole life I'd been told by my grandmother that I couldn't sing. And I realized that when I started affirming people, because a lot of times I didn't want to affirm people because I don't like people being dependent on my encouragement, like go encourage yourself in the Lord, you know, but in my own pride, humbling myself to start affirming people. Here's what I see. I see people's face light up. Like when I, when I, when I come to folks and I'm like, man, bomb job on the worship, bomb job playing drums. And, and listen, I'm not a flatterer. I'm going to tell you the truth. If I give you a compliment, it's for real, right? But what I see is that that affirmation begins to affirm us and it empowers us to be consistent in that value that is being affirmed. The same thing happens with the Lord, that he affirms who you are. He affirms your value. He affirms your identity. And all of a sudden, you're reminded, cancer's just a name but there is a name above that one. <laughs> I realized that I was grabbing on the fig leaves and, and I'm gonna end it here because I was unwilling to let go of the lies that I believe and my soul remained broken, my emotions all over the place just because of stuff that I believe. How do I, and this is the part I want you to catch if you don't catch anything else. How do I start believing the truth? It requires vulnerability. You've got to take risks to see whether the thing that you're believing in is the truth or not. I'll give you an example. <clears throat> 
I was diving into about a year ago, because uh, I was in Canada preaching. My buddy Chris, I know some of our Canadian followers watch this. What's up, hey? <laughs> oh, we got a Canadian member who's actually from Edmonton. Mind-blowing, we'll deal with that another time. Um, but one day I was, I was sitting in the church with uh, Chris Mathis, my boy in them over there, and he was trying to poke fun at me. He was talking about the story between Joshua, or Jacob and Esau. And if you know the scriptures, Esau is more of like a hairy, manly man, and Jacob's like Martha Stewart, you know? And that's basically the picture that he was pointing. And he, of course, was Esau, because likes, Chris likes to hunt and, and like go out and do like manly stuff. I like to hunt at Safeway, Whole Foods, so, so be it. Um, but he started exclaiming, he was like, and some of my members from here were watching, he started saying, man, cause I'm not like Dell. Dell just loves saying nice stuff to people all the time. He's so affirming. He like loves hugging folks all the time. And, and as the service is going on, my, some of my team and some of our people, my disciples are watching, they're texting me going, who is he talking about? He cannot be talking about you. The devil is a liar. Like what is he? And I, told, and I told my friend, I said, I said, the difference is I made a choice to, to, to step out of my norm because it's de-energizing to be healthy. <laughs> it just is what it is at times. A lot of times you put in new practices and it's de-energizing until those new practices become your old culture and it becomes easier to, to do these things. But here's what I told my friend. I had to dive into why I don't like complimenting, why I don't like hugging people. And here's what I found now that growing up, sincerity has never been trustworthy. I've never been able to trust someone's compliment because they'll talk crap about me behind my back. I'll never be able to trust someone's hug because that same person who's hugging me is gonna kind of get me behind my back. And some of you right now, you can relate to this. It's, it's one of the reasons you don't do people because you're just tired of being hurt. And I had to ask myself, I said, what if the next person that I'm gonna hug, the next person that I'm gonna affirm, the next person I'm gonna have an interaction that is more tender, what if what I'm believing is not true? What if they don't wanna hurt me? But I believe they wanna hurt me, but what if they don't? Like we are so good on leaning at the what ifs that are negative, but what if we've been believing a lot? And I had to take the risk to start hugging folks. And this is just a shallow issue. I've got deeper issues where I've practiced the same kind of method but I've had to address the lies that are in my heart, one, by identifying them. So you're not gonna fix this without prayer. You're not gonna fix this thing. You're not gonna fix your emotions and your soul and all these different things unless you spend time with God because he's gonna reveal to you the things that you need to overcome, the lies that you've been believing. And when I see those lies, what I have to say to myself, is the truth of the word stands against that lie. I'm gonna believe the truth and I'm gonna take the risk and I'm gonna love. I'm, I'm gonna get, cause some of you are supposed to be in a relationship, you're supposed to be dating, but you're so scared to just step out. But what if this time it works? What, what if this time you don't walk away with a broken heart and you've got to take that risk, that step of faith to, to, to go across that bridge to say, man, okay, this is something I want. I'm, I might be hurt, but I'm gonna dive right into it. What does this have to do with our Family Matters series? <sighs> Until this area of your heart is healed, every relationship in your life will never meet its fullest potential until you are able to embrace vulnerability, until you're able to allow God to restore the connection that was lost in the garden. And the connection I'm talking about is not just the connection with the Lord, though that is true. He also came to restore connection with each other. This is why Paul encourages us. He says, don't forsake the fellowship of the brethren. He's not talking about just Sunday service. He's talking about Monday through Saturday. He's saying, because you need that connection. You need that thing restored in your life. But some of us are not willing to take the steps needed to heal. I wanna encourage you. This is how we're gonna end it. We're not gonna have an altar call. We're not gonna have a, a response in prayer. I actually wanna give you some homework to do this, this week. It's, this is a hard thing. When I started my journey in healing about two to three years ago, this was one of the questions that I had to ask consistently uh, with different people that I trusted and love. And this is the question I want you to ask this week. I want you to find a couple of friends who know you, who love you. Sorry to cover you up here, Celso. Uh, let me see if I can, there we go. You're good looking, I wanna make sure they can see you, all right? Um, I was sitting down and I, and I just realized, Reggie, there was so much about me that I didn't know about me, that everybody else could see, I just couldn't see. 
Um, part of my personality is very big, very aggressive, so some, that would even make it harder for people to approach me to even tell me when I had done something that was off, right? And then on top of that, I was gonna dismiss them and like be defensive. A friend of mine challenged me to ask this question to people. It was scary. And since I started asking this question, the Lord began to reveal things in my heart that I didn't wanna deal with, that needed to be healed. And here's the question I want you to ask this week to at least three people that you love and trust. What do you know about me that I don't know about me that you think that I should know about me? One more time. What do you know about me that I don't know about me that you think I should know about me? The thing about this is that you've got to come and you've got to receive those answers and they go hurt. <laughs> they are not fun answers. Some of them are not even true. Uh, and I say that in a sense, just because people in their own brokenness, they perceive things wrong. And so you got to filter through projection and all that kind of stuff. But, but there's some benefit, there's some help in sitting down with a pastor, somebody that you love and trust, some, some prayer partners. And this week, just being able to have an honest conversation and say, you know, we're not gonna pray this through. We're not gonna do all that stuff right now. We're gonna ask some honest questions. What are some broken areas in me that I need to work on? And then allowing myself to take that to the cross, to pray over it, to allow God to heal those areas where I constantly feel like I'm not enough. Now these answers are gonna hurt, but don't allow them to bring you to a place where you feel like you're not enough. There are areas I'm working on. I'm, I'm your pastor. I still got stuff I'm working on. I got issues, tempers and patience and all these different things that I'm working on. We're going to be a constant work in progress, but this is going to be a good start. So this is how we're going to end this, this, this morning. I, can you guys prepare to sing a song in just a bit? But we're just going to take some time, no, no praying for each other or anything like this, because I want this to be an honest moment with you and the Lord. Now, I told you to ask that question to a friend or a peer this week. But in these next few moments, as Demetra and Chris and the team lead us, I want you to ask this question to the Lord. Lord, what do you know about me that I don't know about me that I should know about me? Now, some of that is gonna be stuff you need to work on, issues that are, are of brokenness that you need to lay before him. But some of you are gonna hear the Lord tell you, I absolutely love you, that you're my favorite one. He's gonna speak words of affirmation that you haven't heard in a while to let you know that you are who he says you are. So over these next few minutes, just about four or five minutes, can you just stay tuned with us, hang with us for a little bit, and can we just have some time where we can just reflect before the Lord, pray, and let's ask him, Lord, what do you know about me? Let's ask that together. Just repeat this after me. Lord, what do you know about me that I don't know about me that you think I should know about me? Worship team, lead us, and let's just spend some time meditating on the Lord for a moment.
pray, I, I just felt on my heart as we were worshiping the Lord, speaking to me, I felt like I need to specifically pray for soul ties to be broken. Now, I didn't do a heavy enough teaching, and this probably needed to be a series so we can dive deeper into this. But I know some of you are broken in areas of your soul that you cannot undo. Maybe a past relationship. Uh, there's maybe, uh, if you're, you, you were like me, I was molested, and uh, I, for years, couldn't give that thing up, that hurt, that unforgiveness. There are some soul ties that need to be broken. Um, not just relationships, but there are some soul ties connected to systems and different ways of thinking that we, we've, we've got to break this morning. Let me give you four things that you need to do. Number one, you've got to acknowledge that you've got the soul tie. Number two, you've got to be able to confess and repent from it. Number three, receive God's forgiveness. And number four, remove anything that would keep you connected to anything that would cause your soul to be tied down. I say this, I felt so strongly. I wasn't going to deal with this because there's so much here that I couldn't say. But I specifically felt like I needed to pray for people who there are some emotional things you just can't get over. Some hurts, some brokenness, some relationships. I know what it feels like to be there. I know, listen to me, I'm better than you think I know. I know what it feels like to sit on the edge of your bed and be struggling with stuff that you feel like you have no power to be set free from. God is able. So can I pray for you? If this is for you, just prophetically, if you're watching live, if you're on podcast, you just receive this prayer. But if you're watching live, I, I want you just by faith. And if you're in this room, if this word's for you, just put your hand over your heart. Uh, but if this word is for you, I want you to put your hand over your heart by faith. If you're watching, if you're looking on podcasts, and I want to pray for your heart. I want to pray for your soul. God, I pray in Jesus' name for every person who's watching, every person who's listening to this message. God, if there's an area, and I know I didn't dive into this, but God, you know, if there are areas of bondage that just cannot be overcome, there needs more revelation, more light in those areas. I pray right now that you would shed light that you would bring revelation. Come on, pray with me, church. God, that you would begin to highlight the uh, roots of these soul ties, these different areas. As a matter of fact, where's Demetra? Are you up here? Demetra, I want you to pray over this. I want you to pray. I want you to break soul ties with me. God, I, I just, right now, even for those who are trying to uh, overcome hurts and pains from relationships that they can't get over, different things, whatever it is, Lord, those emotional uh, cycles that we can't break, we lay them before you now in Jesus' name. God, and we declare that whom the sun sets free is free indeed. Can you pray on this just as the Lord leads you? Father God, we even just come right now, Lord God, laying ourselves before you once again. Lord God, we know we've done this before. Yeah. We know we've done this before. Father God, we remember the times we've done it before and said, Lord, just take it from me. Lord, just take it from me. Lord, just take it from me. Lord God, I thank you, Lord God, that you are so patient and yeah. so loving and so gracious that every time we lay before you, you don't say, you came to me the last time. You came to me the last time. Didn't we deal with it the last time? Father God, I thank you that you wash us over and over and over. And we lay before you now and say, Lord, we want to deal with the root thing. Yeah. We want to deal with the root thing, the root hurt. Father God, the root words spoken, the first touch that made us shift our perspective and not feel whatever it may be for my brothers and sisters who are watching right now. Lord God, we say we want to come and say, do the work, Father God, like Psalm 139 says, search us again. And Lord God, love us enough to show us this is where it hurts, my beloved. This is where it hurts, my beloved. This is what we want to yeah. deal with, my love. Lord God, I thank you that you're such a loving father and such a good surgeon that you can show us where it hurts and let us process through the healing. Yeah. Lord God, if we got to cry, let us cry. Lord God, if we gotta kick a little bit, let us kick a little bit. If we've gotta go back to the age where it hurt, let us go back to the age where it hurt and lay before you at that age and say, Father, Abba, take it, it's too much because you're such a good God that you'll say, give that to me, baby, that's not yours to hold. Lord God, we thank you right now. That Lord God, even the decisions that we made based upon what may have been done, outside of our control our subsequent decisions you said i died for that too yeah 
Lord God, we thank you, Lord God, that we don't have to stay in that cycle of self-loathing. That opened the door for this decision, and this decision, and this decision, and this decision. You said, I took care of it all. Come unto me, my child, you're heavy laden. You're heavy laden. I've got rest yeah. for you. I've got rest for you. Let us get tired of being tired of the same old thing and saying, Lord, let's just do this. Whatever it takes for me to run with you again, whatever it takes for me to spin and dance with you again, like a child in the park with their parent, like a child dancing around in the sunlight. Lord, whatever it takes to get to that freedom again, let's do this. Because you won't take me any place you can't bring me through. We thank you, Jesus, for being that God. And we ask as our brothers and sisters, as we, we, not them, we continually walk through this process that you surround them with the right who will walk the distance with them. Thank you, Lord. Who will pray life into them. Thank you. Who will speak your word to them. Who will say, you can't stop now. Yeah. He's brought you too far. We won't say the same words we once said. Lord God, I thank you that you're shifting perspectives and paradigms right now in the name of Jesus. We plead the blood over every single person that is watching and listening right now that the paradigm shifts will begin for you want your people free indeed. We thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. Well, we're going to end it this morning. This has just been the start of this series. This is going to be a fun series. For the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about all kinds of relationships. Keep it going, worship team. We're going to get out of here with a, another chorus. Um, but a few just simple reminders. Hey, over, I want to tell you, I'm working with our COVID uh, crisis director right now to come up with a game plan for how we're going to start regathering again. Um, and so I, I do want to tell you that it looks like we're going to start doing some private in-person gatherings before the end of the year. Uh, but we'll work it out. We're getting all the details and everything. We're getting closer and closer every week. Um, the first phase of that, though, is just going to be for our official church members. And so if you haven't gone about and done that, maybe you've been tagging along, following us every week, and you pretty much consider us your church, your tithing, your giving. Um, you're just waiting to be a part. All you got to do is go to the website, thecollide.com slash interested. And right there on that page, I know it says something about membership, but you don't have to worry about that. Just click on that, fill out that form. One of our leaders would love to meet with you. Um, That conversation is so simple. We just want to get to know you. We want you to get to know our church and figure out how we can plug you in in this COVID season. Um, And so there's not too much to do as far as being a member right now, just because we're stuck and limited because of COVID, but we're getting ready to gear up and I want you to be a part of it. Now, I know there are people that I've been pastoring over this last season and uh, you got a rebellious spirit. You haven't gone through this process. Do me a favor, help us out administratively. If you consider yourself a member of our church, you want to be a part of our community, when we start coming back in person, you want to come and worship with us, go ahead to our website and register there. One of our team members will connect with you, um, and we'd love to uh, make sure all that happens. I'll see you guys at Bible study. Let's end it by singing this one worship chorus, and I'll see you guys next Sunday. Please bring a friend. My boy, Andrew Min is going to be preaching for us in our second part of the Family Matters series. God bless you. Victory, I'm going to see a victory for the battle.